Well, good morning, LWC First Service and, and LWC Online Campus. We want to welcome you to our service this morning. And uh, two quick things before I go into my message. The first thing is that there is an orange card in the seat in front of you, underneath the seat. And I only want you to get this card and pick it up if you could use God to do something in your life this week. If he, you could pray to him and you could say, Lord, we're going to trust you only if you could use him for that cause and if you can maybe celebrate something that God has done in your life this past week. So don't pick it up unless you need God or you want to celebrate God. If you don't need God, don't pick up this. Don't do it. Don't pick up this orange sheet if you don't need God. And do not pick up God if you don't want to. I mean, don't pick this. Don't pick up God. <laughs> Sorry, Lord. Uh, don't pick up this orange tab if you don't want to celebrate God. But if you do want to celebrate him or you need him, please fill it out and put it in the back. Uh, on the way out, there's some giving boxes that you can put them in there if you would. So we're, cel we're, we're celebrating. We're starting a uh, church-wide small group campaign uh, this week. We kick it off. And we are talking, yeah, yeah, we're excited about it. <clears throat> we're, we're, we're going to be asking or answering some essential questions that, uh, that people are asking all the time. And uh, to, today we're going to start out with, is there any hope for me? And I think that everyone has probably asked a question like that because we have all messed up in one way or another in life. Amen? Well, well, maybe not first service, but second service, they really <laughs> struggle with that. And I thought about mess-ups. I thought about how we can mess up, and there's different categories of messing up. I kind of processed this uh, throughout the week. Uh, you can mess up, say your wife asks you to paint uh, a room, and you're painting the wall. And so you say, I don't need to mask the corner I've got these brushes that have an angle on them. They're called these angle corner brushes. And I know because of my precise motor skills, my wonderful looks, and whatever you might say to yourself as you're going to get ready to paint, that you will not go and paint the ceiling, which is supposed to stay white when you're painting your walls, maybe Silver City, gray. And so you accidentally touch the ceiling and you go, ah, oh, I messed up. No one has ever done that before. So you don't have to worry about it. And then there's another kind of mess up. And, and this kind of mess up is a, in a different category. And you're, you go out and you uh, go out with some friends. And of course, that there's no one in here that would ever drink an alcoholic beverage. But if you did... You drank maybe one or one too many. That's never happened before in the history of the world. And so you drink maybe one too many and you say, oh, I'm just going to drive a couple blocks to my house, maybe a couple miles or whatever. And you get in your car to drive and you know that we've never done anything like that. And so you get in your vehicle and you start to drive and there is a car that you pass that's parked on the side of the road and they immediately come out and merge onto 
the road in back of you. And they have these things called lights on top. And they turn on the lights and you see that you're probably going to have to pull over on the side of the road. And that's never happened to anyone in the history of the world. And so they pull you out and they ask for your driver's license and your registration and your insurance. And you give it to them and they say, uh, can you please step out of the car? It smells like alcohol in this vehicle. And you get out and they make you walk the line. And you walk that line and you, you, for some reason, you don't walk it like you usually walk the line. Usually you can dance the line, right? And you're not worried about it, but tonight you're not able to walk the line the way you're doing some kind of a hip-hop move going across the line. And they say, sir or ma'am, uh, you are going to have to go with me. Can you please put your hands behind your back? We've got to put these silver, uh, very nice things, and we're going to take you to another place. And then you say, oh, I have really messed up. There's different categories of us messing up. And if you notice, like when you do that mess up with the paint and you paint your ceiling, uh, you say, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And you correct it the best way that you can. Or you put a picture there so that no one will be able to see what you've done. But there are some mess ups that you just feel that people are looking at you differently. Or you can sense that people are talking about you more than what they used to with a negative connotation. And you begin to ask the question, is there any hope for me? And that's what I want for us to answer today. Because all of us in here have messed up. And the way that people view our mess-ups are differently than the way that they view their own mess-ups. Amen? The way that religion views your mess-ups is a lot different than the way that Jesus views our mess-ups. And let me say from the very onset of this message that I have messed up a lot. And let me also say this, that I thank Jesus that he has loved me through every one of them, even to this day. And I will say this, that I probably am not done messing up because we're prone to doing that as people. Amen? Not that any of us want to mess up, but we just have a tendency to do it. And that's why Jesus is needed in our lives, because he is the one that cleanses us and restores us in our biggest mess-ups and even our smallest mess-ups. So we're going to go to John chapter 8 to answer the question of, is there any hope for me? And we're going to read from verse 1 through 11 in this passage and I believe that the Lord is going to speak to everyone here, including those that are watching online, because we all mess up. 
Verse 1 of chapter 8. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. And a crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. That was his custom. He would teach them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And they put her in the front of the crowd. And teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? And they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. So her being brought before the people and before Jesus was not even for her, but it was more for Jesus. They wanted to see what he would say. But Jesus, he, he stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. And they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and he said, all right. All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Let the one who has never sinned, you throw that first rock. I want that to sink in to church people. Because sometimes church people are the first ones to throw rocks at other people. So, sometimes religion creeps into us and, and, and it, it's, it's a lot easier throwing rocks at other people than dealing with what we are messing up in. Amen? And then after he said that, he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, and, I, and, and that's important right there, the accusers heard this, and let me say something to you that's important, that the enemy of your soul is called your accuser. The restorer of your soul, his name is Jesus. The accuser of your character is the devil. And he can put himself in a lot of different faces. He can put a mask on, a religious mask, and he can, he can you know, try to, to, to do a lot of things that, that are perceived as righteous, but he's accusing you and making you feel that there's no hope for you. But the one that comes to reconcile you and restore you into right standing with the Father, his name is Jesus Christ. So his accusers heard this and they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with a woman. I, I want to pause right there just real quick because do you notice that it was the oldest that walked away first? And I never, never thought about this until I just read that right now. When you're older, you have a lot more mess ups. And those younger ones were saying, hey, well, I haven't messed up that bad. I'm ready to throw this rock. Let me chuck it. And the older ones were like, I have a lot of mess ups. I have no right to throw anything at anybody. And because there was a deep respect there for the older ones 
the younger ones began to drop their rocks as well. And then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where, where are your accusers? And I think it's important for maybe us to grab a hold of that because maybe some of you in here or some of you that are watching, maybe you live your life under a heaviness of accusation. And Jesus is speaking to us right now, every single one of us, from the one that's standing up here speaking to the ones that are listening. And he's saying, where are your accusers? Because when he's in our midst, he's here to restore us. Amen. From all the stuff that we've done, from all the mess ups, he is here to restore us. Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And, and, I, and I view this like she was probably uh, had tears in her eyes. And, and just an incredible amount of hope that surfaced in her heart. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. And so for, for us to answer the question, is there any hope for us? I think we need to have a precursor. When you've messed up, and all of us fit in that category, is there any hope for me? And I look at it with the three facets of hope. The first facet is that hope is always needed. We are always in need of hope because we are always messing up. Every day, there's a tendency for Pastor James to do something that I didn't want to do. The things that I want to do, those things I don't do, those things that I, that I do want to do, I don't do them. And you think about yourself like the Apostle Paul, and you said, this wretched man that I am, who is going to save me from myself? And from this sin that is lurking in me and trying to destroy my life. And we say, thank God that Jesus Christ is here to save me. And now I can believe that the word of God is true, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because if it wasn't for Jesus, I would stand here a condemned man. And how do I know that? Because I live with myself. I know myself better than you know myself. And you know yourself and the tendencies that we have. So that's, that's where the woman was. She needed hope. Jesus was just doing his own thing. He was just speaking and, and these teachers of, of religious law. The law, the law, the, the commandments. Thou shall love thy Lord with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Do not make a brazen idol for you. Do not murder, do not, the law. And the Pharisees, these were the most, these were the, 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 the elite of the religious leaders. And they come and they bring this woman to Jesus, accusing her of what she's done because she stands condemned. 
caught in the act of adultery and they put her in front of the crowd. That's why I started out with my introduction by saying there are times that things happen to us that we are on blast. It's one thing to be caught on the street and you've drank too much and you, and you walk the line and you stumble across the line. It's another thing for that to be put on Facebook and Instagram. And can I tell you that people, that people will, will the tendency for people is to flock to the negative of what we've done instead of the positive of what we've done. There's nothing but shame for this woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And think about this, that the crazy thing about being caught in the act of adultery is that you're not the only person involved. And if you're a woman in here, you should be saying, where's the man? The man's in the back probably looking and doing anything. Throw that stone before she starts to talk. I don't want my name mentioned in this. What she did, it wasn't right, but what she did, she didn't do it alone. And I want you to think about that, beloved, in, our, in your life, in my life. The things that I've done, the worst things that I've done in my life, I didn't do them alone. There was always peer pressure. That's why I always say you need to have the right people in your circle. Because the wrong people can lead you to do the wrong things. And, and then what happens is that the wrong things are not, they're, they're not uh, things that are not fun. Let me just tell you, wrong things are fun. That woman that was in the act of adultery, she wasn't doing that because she hated it. She hated being caught. And it's no different with any one of us. We do not, it's not that we dislike sin the pleasure of sin, we dislike the effects and the consequences of sin when we get what? Caught, because when we get caught, we need hope. And the religious leaders and the Pharisees, they weren't interested in the woman's feelings. They weren't interested in her reputation. That meant nothing to them. What they wanted was to trap Jesus. But Jesus, he did care about the person more than he cared about the actions of the person. And that's important for us to understand that Jesus cares more about you than what you've done. He, he cares about you so much that he said, I'm going to the cross for you and I'm going to die for your shame. I'm going to die for your blame. I'm going to die for everything that is trying to destroy your life. Religion doesn't. He cared about the shame and the guilt that she carried, and he cares about the guilt and the shame that we carry on a daily basis. If you're carrying shame and if you're carrying guilt, the Word of God says that now there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you're in Christ, guilt and condemnation have no place with you. The reason that we need no condemnation is because all of us have filled our lives 
with condemning things. And I'm just speaking that for my own self. I have filled my life with things that are worthy to be condemned. Did you know that? And that's why I need a savior. We all want to get better. Because we've all messed up. And some of us have messed up really bad. Like really bad. And and the thing about really messing up is you always have people reminding you of your mess ups. Again, not first service. You guys are so, you guys are so good. Maybe, maybe because it makes people feel better when they tell you about how bad you've messed up. But everyone has guilt and everyone has shame when we are exposed. And have you noticed that, sh- that, that sin has a way of exposing us? Adam and Eve, they, they hid themselves because they were naked when they ate the forbidden fruit. The very first sin was done in the presence of God himself in the Garden of Eden, in a perfect place. And they, it, they ate the forbidden fruit, and because of that, it exposed their shame, and they hid themselves and their guilt because they transgressed what God had told them for their own good. You see, all they knew was good until they did the thing that was forbidden. And and, and think with me, beloved, when we know good, and until you go against that threshold, you cross that threshold into a place that you should not have gone, you don't know what shame is until you've really messed up. And then you get exposed and, and, and that and that. You're just naked before others and your flaws come to the surface. And it's then that you realize that you need hope. Let me tell you, Pastor James's life, when he came to Jesus, I needed hope because I had messed up so much. My individual life was a mess. My, my marriage was a mess. My family was becoming a mess. I know that we would have ended up in, in, in a very, very bad place. I probably would not be married this day if it wouldn't have been for Jesus Christ. Can I tell you why it wouldn't, I wouldn't be married? Because I messed up continuously. But you need, you need to come to the place, and this is, this is so important. You need to come to the place in your life where you recognize that you are worth helping. Because accusations, guilt, and shame will always make you think that you are not worth it. When you've messed up, you feel worthless. And what Jesus does in this woman is amazing. He shows her that she was worth his love. 
and his grace. He, he revealed to her that she was worth restoration. The, the, the great uh, uh, modern psychologist and, and author and professor, uh, Jordan Peterson, uh, I, I, I read a lot of Jordan, listen to him, Wonderful, wonderful man, practical on, on how you change your, your life and how you start making choices that are, that are positive uh, for the glory of God. Uh, he said this very simple thing. He said, treat yourself like you would someone you're responsible for helping. That's a profound statement right there. Treat your own self like if you're someone that you're responsible for helping. In other words... You're worthwhile. You're worth so much to God. People that have messed up think they are not worthy of being helped, and these same people will go out of their way to help others. I've known people that they, they just con continuously mess up. They slip up in their life, and they're trying to, to make up for that by what they do for others. If they would treat themselves the same way, their life would change. Are you with me? Does that make any sense to you? This woman caught in adultery had worth to Jesus, and you need to know that you have worth to him too. You are worth everything to Jesus Christ. He gave his life for you. You as an individual. God loves you so very much. You are special and do not let your mistakes erase that fact that you are special to God. Because if we allow our mistakes to erase that fact, our hope will get depleted. That's the second facet of hope. When we mess up, we are quickly depleted of hope. Sin and failures have a way of emptying our account. That is a hope account. Hope means I, I, I think things are going to get better. I believe that, that, that things are going to get better. I yearn for things to get better. That's hope. And when you mess up and you start saying, is there any hope for me? You start believing when the accusations come that there is not any, left, any hope left in your account. And can I tell you something that's vital? You can't go to a source that's depleted of hope to get your hope. That's what the woman found in the religious leaders. That's what the woman found in the teachers of the law. If you were to come to church every Sunday and all you heard is how worthless you are because of what you've done, because of all the choices you've made, you're nothing but sinners on your way to hell. If you don't change your ways, can I tell you, you will live your life that way. But if you come and you hear a message of restoration and hope, that's a message of Christ Jesus our Lord. That he's got a plan for your life. And the plan for your life is that he's going to restore you and make you someone that you could never be on your own. Because you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. 
The old things are gone. The old things have passed away. And now you are walking in the newness of Christ. You know, when we go to a source that's depleted of hope, that's where we find the stone throwers. And instead of offering you a step up, they kick you when you're down. And that's exactly what we find in the religious leaders. I, I, I keep saying that there's a difference between religion and a relationship with Jesus. You will never have Jesus kick you when you're down. He will always lift you from the mud. He will always lift you from the yuck, from the vomit of, of our sins and all that yucky stuff that we live in. Jesus will restore us. He'll, he'll bring us into his arms and he'll love us where we're at. And those stone throwers, as they're throwing stones at us, Jesus writes on the ground all the things that they're doing. And where they fall short. They said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says, we need to stone her. What do you say? Not only does religion want to condemn her, it wants to trap Jesus but you can't trap God. You can't trick God. Religion can't trick God. It can't trap him. It always wants to trap Jesus. You can have this Jesus, but you need to do this, do this, do this, do this. That's religion. Do this, do, 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 do. Jesus says, done. Jesus says, it's finished. I have completed it. I have, I have paid for everything from your, from your past sins to your present sins to your future sins. You walk in that newness. But Lord, I really messed up. I know you did. That's why I came and died for your sins. Come to me. Walk with me. You see, with Jesus, there's hope even when the shame is unbearable. You can shame people all you want in the name of religion, but God's motives will always stay the same, and God is always motivated by love. And his love is a restoring love. When, when, we, were, when we were messing up, the love of the cross was reaching out to us. Before I ever named the name of Christ Jesus as my Lord, before I ever thought that I would follow Jesus, his love on the cross was saying, James Reese, I'm coming after you. I love you so much. In fact, the Bible says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't die for you when you became good. Christ died for you when you were really, really bad. When we were still messing up, Jesus said, I'm going, to restore the, I'm going to restore you because he came to restore the broken. He came to help the hurting. And with Jesus, you're not defined by the worst thing that you've done. Thank the Lord for that. You get a new start. You get a new identity. And, and, and how many of you know that you have to be real careful with the people that are looking for you to mess up. 
How many of you know that there are two kinds of people? There are there's, there's the kind of people that will push you off the cliff whenever you've messed up. And there's people that will keep you from falling over the cliff when you've messed up. And, 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 and that's how you know what kind of people we are. If, if we're the kind of people that have been restored by the love of Jesus, we should be the kind of people that will restore others with the love of Jesus. One of my to-go uh, passages in Scripture is Galatians 6.1. And Galatians 6.1, in the message paraphrase puts it like this, 1 through 3, it says, Live creatively, friends. In other words, you, you have to come, come outside of the religious box. Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivenly restore him. Can we also say her? Restore him or her, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens and so complete Christ's law. If you think you are too good for that, you are badly deceived. Notice it doesn't say don't comment. It says don't criticize. It says do not be a rock thrower. It doesn't tell us that we don't begin to talk to people and say, let's, let's reason together and what can we do differently next time? Amen? You see, Jesus wasn't giving this woman a pass, saying, keep on doing what you're doing. Because Jesus is not hope that's needed. Jesus is not hope depleted. Jesus is hope completed. We find our complete hope in Jesus Christ. Everything we need is in Jesus. I don't care what you've done, there is complete hope in Jesus Christ. Ain't it amazing how Jesus went to the ground when he was, when those accusers were condemning the woman and he began to write. And it doesn't tell us what he wrote, but I have to believe that he must have been writing. Okay, Sammy, uh, remember last week that you were doing this? Oh, Brad, you were doing this? Oh, Francisco, you were doing this? Oh, Cecilia? You were doing this. But he stood up from all of the condemning, all of the accusations, and he stood up to meet the woman where she needed to be met. And he said to the woman, where are your accusers? 
Didn't even one of them condemn you? You see, here, here's, here's what, what, what I can grab a hold of from this, from this beautiful uh, passage right here, from this beautiful part of this passage, is that when Jesus is in our midst, that even the condemners that are throwing rocks at us, as long as Jesus is by my side, that they have no power over me. They might pick up the rocks, but they, they, those rocks are not going to hit me because I have, a, I have a shield in Christ that tells me I'm forgiven. I have this armor in God that tells me that I can overcome whatever enemy comes my way. And the greatest enemy that we have in our lives is the enemy of accusation and the enemy of guilt that keeps you from walking out the good purposes of God. See, when God recreated you, when you were born again, he did it right. What our parents couldn't do in the physical, God did in the spiritual. We were all born into sin until we were born again. And then we were born into holiness, something that we cannot acquire in our own ability. Does that make sense? You're perfectly holy in Christ. We are imperfectly unholy without him. That, that's why it's so hard for people to grab a hold of the goodness of God because some people think that they're good in themselves. Let me tell you, that's a lie from the devil. None of us are good. We all need Jesus. God is not in the business of condemning us. He's in the business of restoring us. And the woman came to, to Jesus indirectly. But what she found was hope for the day. And restoration for the failure. And even failures in her life. And, and, and that's important, beloved. Beloved. You see, Jesus puts us on a path of restoration. The James Reese that met Jesus in 1994 is not the James Reese that is walking with Jesus in 2022. I'm not that same person because God has done so much and he's still doing it. And that goes for every person here that, that when you name Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, he puts you on a path of restoration. He completes hope in us. Jesus told the woman, go and sin no more. He wasn't telling her that she would never sin. He says, don't live in it. The Bible teaches us very plainly that, that, that if we say we have no sin, we lie. But we don't live there, beloved. We don't make our camp anymore in adultery. We don't make our camp anymore in drunkenness. We don't make our camp anymore in pride. We don't make our camp anymore in, in misaligning people. We don't make our camp anymore in gossip. Maybe that's where we lived at one time, but we don't live there anymore. We walk away from that step by step in the newness of Christ. Because with Jesus, there's always hope that will set us on a course to be restored.
And you might be saying, Pastor, you, you don't know what I've done, and I've messed up this week, and I'll tell you, I don't know what you've done, but I know what Jesus did for you. And I believe in the faithfulness of Jesus more than I believe in the unfaithfulness of our sin. Are you with me? Just, just the, the, the fact that you are sitting here hearing this word of truth tells me that God is not done in your life. Just the fact that you tuned in and are watching online tells me that God is not done in your life. It doesn't matter what you've done. His work is still bigger than all the failures that you've done. He is a restoring Savior. Is there any hope for me? Y-E-S. Yes, there is. And your hope is Jesus Christ. That's what you take out of here. That's what you take to the restaurant, wherever you go and have your, your breakfast, brunch right now. You take that because there's, there's, a, there's a lady or a man that's by you or, or waiting on you that they need hope because they have a lot of mess-ups in their life and they're probably battling, feeling guilty and ashamed. And they need to know that God loves them. See, we're not church people. We're followers of the Savior, Jesus Christ. We have hope that is completed that we can offer to people. Three real quick scriptures as I bring this to a close. Uh, uh, you know, we talk about the course of restoration, very biblical. It, it starts out by putting your dependency, your daily dependency on Jesus every day. When the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he said, okay, I want you to pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, holy or hallowed is your name. Anyone remember praying that prayer? You prayed that prayer, right? And then you, you get down to, to that prayer. It says, our Father, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one and the evil in my life. Is there power in that prayer? You put, you put complete, complete dependency on your Savior and your Lord, and you recognize that there's an enemy and an adversary who is dead set against the very best that God has for every one of us. And my restoration begins when I know that God is bigger than my enemy. The devil is not bigger than God, but he's bigger than us. How do I know that? Because he led my life for a lot of years until Jesus came and Jesus said, okay, you have no business with him anymore. And the only business that the devil has in my life is a business that I let him come in. But if I say, I want you to meet someone, devil, Jesus, would you please come talk to him? The devil walks out. The devil walks out. He, he begins to empower us to overcome our sins 
Romans 6.6 6 says, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. I, I am not defined by my, by my failures, but instead I'm defined by my new identity as a child of God in Christ. I am not a slave to sin. I've been liberated by the blood of Jesus. Woo! Oh, I... I just feel him around us right now. And then he begins to surround us with the right people, beloved. I'm going to tell you, why do we do small groups? Because we want for you to surround yourself with the right people in your life. And you'll always be better with the right people in your life. The, the Apostle Paul talking to the Corinthians, he says, do not be fooled by those who say such things. In other words, you can live and do the things that you want to do. Don't worry about any consequences. That's exactly what Paul is talking about. He said, bad company will corrupt good character beloved sometimes you gotta you gotta move yourself from the toxicity in your life and you will recognize the toxicity in your life when you walk with Christ he doesn't want you to be religious but he wants for you to walk in the newness that he provides and the restoring that he provides and there are steps that we have to take that bring healing and restoration and the first step leads us to the cross of Jesus Christ where you are made right with God the next step is you make Jesus Lord of your life you submit to his lordship in a relationship and I just believe that today is a perfect day for someone to say, I need Jesus to be my everything in life. And I want to lead you in a prayer. It's a prayer of saying yes to Jesus. It's a prayer that says, I don't need religion, but I need a savior in my life for my mess ups. And today I'm going to trust in Jesus Christ. I'm going to give him my life, my heart, and everything that I've done and I trust that he will restore me from this day forward. Just pray this with me. God, I am tired of trying to do life on my own. Today, I, I confess that I'm a sinner. Lord, I have so many mess-ups in my life. You know them. But I believe that Jesus Christ went to the cross, the cross at Calvary, and he died for my sins, my past, my present, and my future. I believe that he rose from the dead on the third day. I accept him as my Lord and I choose to follow him from this day forward in the fellowship of his people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now this is important, beloved. Remember we talked about the steps. No. If you prayed that prayer, I just want you to raise your hand and just say, that's, that's me. I'm, I'm making a choice to follow Jesus. And Amen. I see your hands. Beautiful. Yes, I see all your hands going up. That's beautiful right there. See, God sees your hand, and that's more important than me seeing your hand. And, and nothing starts without a first step. The babies that were my kiddos that are now adults, everything started with a first step. 
And then they took a step to walk out the door of our house. And they got their own homes. And we said, praise the Lord Jesus. And that's how it is with us, beloved. For those of you online that you said yes to Jesus today, it's your first step, but there's a lot more, there's a lot of other steps that are coming. But every one of them will be ordered by God if you let him. And you'll never be the same. And you don't have to carry shame. You don't have to carry blame. You don't have to carry guilt. You can walk in the newness of Jesus Christ. And there's hope for those of us that have messed up.